important because they have higher implications. They have maybe more long-term implications. There may be choices that get a little bit more personal, a little bit more challenging at the core level of who we are and what it is that we're trying to work through or whatever the case may be. And if you're uh, somebody like a mom who is managing a family and you have all kinds of things going on at once, you have all kinds of choices that come through uh, every single day having to make decisions and they just sort of come in waves. Or maybe you're somebody who works in a business or work environment and you have all kinds of people reporting to you and all kinds of responsibilities and complexities and those choices come at you every single day in just sort of relentless waves and it's really hard to keep up. But the good thing is, is that we have choices. That's actually a good news thing. The good news is, is that we have choices that we can make uh, every single day. Probably more choices even than we realize. I remember one time I had a a boss that I worked for, and this was uh, years ago, and I remember one day after maybe yawning too much or complaining uh, about how tired I was, he made this comment and he challenged me. He says, you know what, Bruce, being tired is actually a choice. You can choose to be tired or choose not to be tired. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, I actually don't think you're right. Um... I mean, he was right in the sense that I could choose how I was going to respond throughout the day in my tiredness. He was right in the sense that, that I could actually choose that night about what I was going to do and when I would go to bed and some of the patterns that I would do or whatever the case may be or how early I get up or whatever. But I mean, I don't think I could choose my way out of not being tired. At least I don't think so. But, but the reality is, is that we, we do have even choices like that that are just sort of an adjustment in the midst of a reality that can make the outcome very different. And so we have all kinds of choices in our lives. In our text today, which is Philippians chapter 4, we see Paul's words of encouragement that are given here to this church. And this is uh, also a text where we see an invitation in many ways to daily choices, an invitation to choosing how it is that you're going to live, choosing how it is that you're going to respond, And it's this interesting text that we see, these pointed, short kind of exhortations that Paul gives to this church, much like uh, often is the case at the end of a letter, when you you write a letter and you uh, kind of come to the end and then you think about, now you have to be actually over 30 to know what it is to write a letter. I just thought of that. Um, But anyways, so some of you have written letters, and so when you write a letter and you come to the end of it, and you actually now want to summarize some things, and at the end of this letter you summarize and you say, okay, well, here, here, don't forget this. And you, so you sort of throw in all of the things that are really important at the end, right? And in many ways, that's what Paul is doing here in Philippians chapter 4, I think, but sort of re-summarizing and getting to some really critical things, and they just sort of come out as these exhortations of encouragement, but also they point us to some really important uh, daily choices. I want to read, and I want to just start uh, to begin with, actually, some verses in the middle Then we're going to go back to the beginning and then look at the end as well. But I want to just start in verse 4, where Paul says in Philippians 4 to 9, he says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. And remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then this word then, he says, and then... You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, he says. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything that you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Lots of stuff in there. Lots of really quotable quotes, things that you've heard at different times before, things that maybe you have said to others, words of encouragement that God has spoken into your lives, some really specific challenges and words of encouragement that Paul points to. And he also, in these texts, if you think about it in the context of choices, he's pointing to the fact that, that every single day we stand at the crossroads and we can choose a direction or another direction. And so every single day we stand at this crossroads of worry or God's peace. Every single day we, we stand at this crossroads and we can choose in some measure what we will embrace. How every day that we have this opportunity to choose contentment and choose thankfulness that Paul talks about in this, in this text. Or we can choose worry or despair or something maybe within one of those two options. And how it is that every day we can choose to focus on what is true or honorable or right or pure or lovely or admirable. Or we can choose to focus on something else. And not that we can necessarily choose our way to that perfect circumstance where all of those emotions and feelings will be complete. Kind of like my choosing not to be tired. It's not like you can choose your way right to the end of it. But we can choose something in the context of any one of those things and step in that direction. So Paul is challenging this church and challenging us that, that we can choose to rejoice, that we can choose which direction that we will step. One of the key verses that's in there, in the one that we just read, uh, talks about the reality of this choice. And if you read it in the NIV translation, it says this well-known verse this way. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Really powerful truths there. But instead, we often choose a version that is very different, a version that maybe reads like this. Um, Do not relax about anything, but in every situation, with worry and fretfulness, while ungrateful, carry your burdens alone. And the stress of life, which transcends all understanding, will fill your hearts and minds with despair. That's from the glass-half-empty version translation of the Bible. You will not find that on your Bible app. But it's true, isn't it? Like we, in some ways, we read that first one and we go, okay, yeah, that sounds really good. But we choose this second one. And we say, okay, now I'm going to maybe choose to walk in this other way. Because these worries of life... Come at, it, come at us in so many ways. The, the, the choices that we make, the challenges that we face, they can be in all kinds of areas, whether it's in our finances, in our health, in our relationships, in our employment, in our future, in our children, in our parents, whatever the case may be. If there is a category that it belongs to, we can find a way to worry about it. We can find a way to be anxious about it. We can find a way to despair about it. And so the question for today is what, what choices will we make today? Which direction will we choose to step today in this journey? If you go back and and look at the verses on either side of that well-known section that I began with and just read, you'll see uh, two uh, great uh, statements on either side or or examples, I would call them, of real-life situations 
where actually those first verses of verse 4 to 9 that we just read uh, really get challenged. They're actually in many ways given context. They, they have more so of an earthiness to them, a groundedness to them, when you look at what comes at the beginning at the end. And at the beginning, what, what comes there is this, this word that Paul gives about conflict and this reality of a case of conflict. And at the end, what we'll look at in a minute, is where he talks about money. And he talks about contentment and the challenge of that. And we know from having walked through some of uh, Philippians uh, chapters 1 to 4 so far that Paul, in most of his writings to the churches, not just in this letter, but he has such a high value on the unity that is necessary within the church. And so what he's talking about is he's talking about relationships between people within the church and how important it is that you deal with the conflict situations that are there. Because he says things like, live a life that is worthy of the gospel that you have received. You need to live in such a way that it, is, is, it reflects this gospel that you have received and the forgiveness that you have received, and you need to do that in your relationships on the ground level. And so he speaks to this very real conflict here, and what's interesting is he names names. He names these two women that are part of this church, which I think speaks to the depth of the conflict that is there and the implications that it had for that church at that time and for their witness in the surrounding community with other people. And so we read in verse 2, to, two and 3, he says, Now I appeal to Yodia and Sintish. He says, Please, be, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now we don't know what the exact roles of these two women are. Some people speculate that they were maybe leaders in the church. We don't know that. The text doesn't really clearly say that, but we know that they were active body parts. We know that they were active members of the church, that they were involved in ministry. They were involved in doing the work of the kingdom, and they were engaged in the ministry and the life of the church. And something has happened, and there is a conflict between them that is so obvious to everyone and so apparent to all that Paul actually writes about it in this letter to the church and kind of calls them out and says, this has to be dealt with. And he says, even a third person, he says, you know what, you even need to get involved and and to help them to kind of resolve this because you need to take these deep theological truths seriously. These truths about who Christ is and about the, the reconciliation that is available there between us and God, this truth of the hope of the gospel kind of hits ground level in our conflictual relationships. And he says, you need to walk this out. You need to figure this out. You need to take care of it. And you have a choice to make in how you live it out. Now, if you remember a few weeks back, if you were here at that time, I I reflected back on a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, but he's writing about this church in Philippi. He's writing about the church in this region of Macedonia, of which Philippi was, was a city within that region. And so he's writing about this church. And if you remember, we talked about a few weeks ago where, where he says how there was conflict all around. There was conflict all over the place. And he talked about fear, and then he talked about how, how God encouraged them through Timothy and so on. Remember that? But in that text in 2 Corinthians 7, he talks about this reality that there is this conflict that is there all around. And now he's getting really specific with two people that the conflict is involved with. And he says you have choices to make. He says that you've got to decide how it is that you're going to live out your faith in this conflict where the rubber hits the road, where you need to reconcile and make things right and to walk this out 
in order to express and to live the truths of the gospel. And so he's reminding them of these daily choices. And even in a a world that is hostile, a world where we see so much evil, where our tendency can be to see kind of the evil in that other person in the conflict, he's saying, no, no, no. He says, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. And the enemy wants nothing more than to stir and to, to stir up conflict and to make it bigger than it really is. But that's not where your battle is. It's against Satan. It's against the enemy in the unseen world. But it plays out in the day-to-day lives that you have in front of you. So that's what's interesting as we look at this text in the, in the first section that leads into these verses 4 to 9 that contain so much encouragement and so much challenge. And then immediately following verse 9, we come to verse 10 where he talks about another kind of tangible application of these texts and he talks about money. And Paul says this, he says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Now remember, Paul's in prison. Paul's writing this letter in prison, and he's saying, I'm okay. But thank you for the gift that you have given me. He says, thank you for the financial support that you have shown. Thank you for the generous lives that you have lived out. He appreciates it so much. But he mainly appreciates it, not so much because he needs it, because he actually qualifies it in two places as you continue reading. And he says, well, well, first of all, uh, I didn't really need it. And second of all, I remember I didn't ask for it. It was kind of an odd kind of thank you. But he says, just remember that. But he does say thank you because he says, you are providing my needs. But he almost infers that you need to give even more than I need to receive. Because you giving and learning to live in contentment and learning to be generous with your finances is something that is a choice of living with true joy. It's a choice of living with contentment. It's a choice of trusting God more than seeing just the problems that you have in your life right now. And so he's thanking them for living out their faith. He's thanking them for giving tangible expression to this gospel and what he's been teaching about and what's been going on in their church. And he's saying to them, thank you for being faithful to that. These are things that matter. These are things that are critically important, even though the support wasn't Paul's motivation. Now, again, I want to refer us back to 2 Corinthians and this text, this time in in chapter 8, where Paul is, again, talking about this church in Macedonia, the Philippian church, and he's saying to the Corinthian people now, he's saying, you know what? Pay attention. These people get it. They know how to live generously. And he says this, he says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, like the Philippians. He says they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. In fact, Paul goes on and he says, they begged, actually, to give more, and I had to stop them. 
Because that they, they were giving so much that they couldn't even meet their own basic needs. But they were a people who were so captivated by the gospel. Because it says in that text, if you keep reading, that they first gave themselves to the Lord. They were so captivated by Jesus Christ. So captivated by their relationship with God. That it changed them. It transformed them. It, it changed how they viewed their finances. It changed how they viewed their life circumstances. And they chose contentment. And they chose trust in God. And out of that came this extravagant giving and this generous life that Paul commends them for. And he says, good for you. He says, way to go. You are living out your faith. You're you're learning to live in contentment. And then that text that we just read in Philippians where, where Paul says, I have learned to live in any situation with contentment. I choose contentment today, even in prison. I choose contentment when I have had absolutely nothing and I don't know where the next meal is coming from. But he says, I also have chosen contentment when I have everything and I have all that I need and more. When I live in abundance, he says, I've chosen contentment. And I think that is such a a word of challenge to every one of us in different ways. We can be so easy to complain and to see something and do the comparison thing where we always see somebody else who is further ahead or just a little bit beyond where we are. And yet Paul again is saying to choose today, joy. To choose today, to rejoice. To choose today, contentment. Regardless of your circumstances, and there are a few ways that it expresses yourself, and one of them that he commends them for is this idea of giving and generosity. And so we we see that his joy was not about alleviating suffering. It had nothing to do with that. His joy was in transformation in people's lives because of the truth of Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel. And when he saw people living in such a way that their lives unmistakably gave testimony to the transformation in their lives, that's where his joy came from. And it's amazing how he encourages them in this. And we know that in our lives, that there's probably no area that we can worry more about than the area of finances. I mean, for so many people that that is true, that this area of finances can be this area of great worry and anxiety. But Paul is saying again, what will you choose? Will you choose worry and discontent? Or will you choose contentment and thankfulness? Will that be expressed in a life of generosity? You know, one of the things that we have made reference to in this letter is this fact that in Philippians, we see more references to the word joy and rejoice than in any other, Paul, any of, other of Paul's letters. More than any other letter they wrote to the churches, this is one where he just sort of hammers home this idea of what it means to have joy and what it means to have this unusual joy as we've been talking about it. Because it doesn't come from our emotions or our experiences. It comes from something far deeper and more profound. And yet we've realized as well that we don't always experience that in the natural course of our lives. Which is why one of the things that we have tested this up against is one of the most challenging life realities that that people can face that so often just collides with these words from Philippians that we see in these texts. And that is the reality of depression and mental illness. And why throughout this month we have been sort of using that as an example of using that as something that we sort of tested and hold it up against these texts and say, how do we now understand these texts in light of this reality that so many people face of some form of mental illness in one way or another? 
Because we know that more people struggle with emotional pain than physical pain. So this text, even again today, speaks so directly to some of those things, challenges us in some of those areas. But again, we want to be... We want to be sensitive and ask the question, how is it that we understand these texts if this has been part of our reality of struggling with mental illness in one way or another? One of the things that I've seen and just experienced already in this series in talking to so many of you and and hearing different stories of different people that it's absolutely not possible to even begin to address all the ways that this may affect you or it affects somebody that is within your family or somebody that is close to you. But as I've talked to people I've realized very quickly how unique the journey is for each person. And and just the very different roads that people take in this journey with mental illness in one way or another. It's a unique one to each person for sure. But I've also realized just how many stories that there are in any group of people. An an amazing amount of stories in in any group of people, including a group like this. And we know that. We see that in the news again, even just this week with that plane that went down in France and the discussion again around mental illness. We see it in the news on a regular basis. And thankfully, people are talking about it more and more, which is one of the reasons why we felt we needed to just bring it out onto the table and have these conversations. A couple of our goals in doing that throughout this series is a variety of things. First of all, that, that it will give permission to have the conversation. It'll give all of us just a little bit more permission to have those conversations that are otherwise really challenging and awkward conversations. And I've heard from many of you have shared the truth of having great conversations in your small groups or in your family or with some friends or in different contexts where you're having some of these conversations and it's been okay. It's sort of given you that permission to do that, which we're thankful for. A second thing that we were hoping and praying for is that it would help to take away some of the stigma of mental illness that so many people live with. Some of you have maybe seen that movie called Still Alice or read the book that is about early onset Alzheimer's and written or shown from a first person of a woman who has this early onset uh, Alzheimer's. And I remember one of the things that she says in that story is she says, I wish I had cancer. I wish I was dying of cancer. Because if I was, then people will wear little ribbons and they'll have 10K runs and they'll support me and they'll do all of these different things and there isn't the stigma attached with it. But she says having this Alzheimer's, it's like, it's like you're just sort of lost and people don't know what to do with it and, and people sort of keep some distance. And so that just stuck with me, that comment that she made of what she would way rather die from. So one of our goals and our hopes and our prayers is that some of that stigma would be removed for us to be able to talk about it in a different way. And then thirdly, just to recognize again that we are holistic beings. That we are holistic beings, that we are created physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in all kinds of different ways. And how we can approach this in a one-dimensional kind of way. And I remember being in a setting uh, with a group of ministry leaders and and Dr. Jean Marcoux, who's a Christian psychiatrist in our city here, was was speaking about this one day. And, And how it's important to realize that sometimes all it just takes is a very little pill that makes a very big difference in a person's life. And how we have to realize that we are holistic beings and we can't always approach it in one dimensional way. And he talked about having to sort of try to undo a lot of the damage where people have been uh, exposed, either could be with a pastor or other well-meaning Christian believers who sort of implied that it was only because of their lack of faith or their lack of, or maybe the sin in their life that they had this struggle with mental illness. And he says, no, no, it's, it's so much more than that and we need to recognize that. 
It's not just that you struggle with it because you're weak or undisciplined or disobedient, which can lead to condemnation and shame, which, again, the enemy loves when there is condemnation and shame because it keeps us quiet and it keeps us alone. Dr. Grant Mullen is another uh, Christian uh, doctor who has worked extensively in this area and written a book called Emotionally Free, which is a a great resource in this area as well. And he too talks about being created so complex and and that healing and wholeness has so many different factors to it. That yes, there are pills that can alter chemical imbalance. There is counseling to deal with different events and how we process things, which is so important. There are practical things like physical exercise, which help and contribute and can be so good. There's the role of a loving and supportive community that understands and can have conversations and pray for you and encourage you and support you in that. All of these play such an important role of being able to place our feet on higher ground when we are in those deep, dark places. And how daily we have choices of what we might do and which direction we might step when the reality of our lives kind of just goes up against these texts that we see in Philippians about this call to an unusual joy. But the thing that we we also want you to understand so clearly as we see in this text and we see throughout Scripture is that foundational to all of these choices, what undergirds all of these approaches and all of these helpful ways to approach Uh, these challenges as holistic people are these biblical truths of scripture that continue to point us to jesus that continue to point us to the one who gives us hope to the one who died for us to the one who can transform our lives because you see into all that complexity comes the word of god the words of god through paul here the truths of who jesus is and what it means to follow him I'm going to invite uh, Lisa and Brad. They're going to come up, and they're going to, in just a minute, lead us in a closing prayer, a specific song. We want to give you just an opportunity to respond in prayer, just standing where you will be in just a minute, just where you are. Um, and this song, not to sing it yourself, but to the, and the words will be up there, but, but more to just listen to the song quietly and allow this song to be sung over you as a prayer. Parents, you don't have to go anywhere at this point in time because the kids are actually going to come to us in just a minute and they're going to be brought back into the sanctuary. The other way that you may choose to respond is uh, to take a flower, and again, in these baskets here, with this sign of joy. And a number of weeks ago when we began this series, we gave the opportunity uh, for people to respond if they wanted to. It's just a simple expression that if, if there was something that you wanted to just sort of claim that, that of your, even your, your statement of faith, that, that you were just declaring that God is sovereign even in a situation that you really don't understand or can't control. But that there is something in just a declaration of faith to just take a flower and to stick it in those words of joy as, as partly a response or a declaration of faith of what you want to do. And many of you did that. But maybe it was just way too soon for you. Maybe it wasn't the time for you and you weren't ready. And maybe today you want to do that as this song is being sung over you that you would want to just come forward and to take a flower and to place it within those words of joy. Maybe you're a tactile person and you can respond in that way. We would invite you to do that at any point during the song. The foundational truth of Philippians and the foundational truth of the Easter story and the foundational truth of even this Palm Sunday and what we celebrate uh, here today is this truth of who Jesus is, that Jesus Christ is King. And that's what we want you to know intimately and to understand powerfully that Jesus is the only one who can give true peace. 
in a world of conflict. That Jesus is the one who is peacemaker, whether it's in our minds or in our relationships. That Jesus is the one who can take our anxious thoughts and our worry. That Jesus is the one who hears our sighs, knows our pain, and can dry our tears. That Jesus can give us strength for the journey every single day. That Jesus can lift clouds, heal our hearts, and give us hope. 